Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Lawrence Gregory. It is entitled, Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest. Good afternoon. Today is the third annual Holy Commanded Assembly Day for God's people to come before Him. This day is called Pentecost, Feast of Harvest, Feast of Weeks, Day of First Fruits. Now, each one of these points could be expanded into a separate individual message. But in recent uh, months, we have had some of our speakers that have touched on various points. And over the many years, I have gone over many different messages on different aspects of why we are here today in commanded assembly to rehearse these days before God as He commands us to be here. Now, there are significant events related to this day and why we're here today, and I'm going to uh, mention some of those dates and days and why we know that separate messages on each one of these points could be very relevant and expanded. How it's calculated to bring us to a Sunday today. Its relationship to Passover, unleavened bread, and the wave offering. The Exodus, time of Israel's departure from Egypt in the wilderness and receiving the Ten Commandments by God and from God in the third month of that first year of 1491. The significance of the two leavened loaves of bread that, are, that were commanded to be offered on this day. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples in Jerusalem in 31 AD and the spectacular, great, miraculous events that accompanied with signs and wonders that outpouring of God's Spirit. The togetherness, the oneness of being a, of one accord by God's church on that day and the significance of that. The important part in the overall panorama of the purpose and plan of God as conveyed through the Holy Days, the full panorama of the Holy Days, and this day, Pentecost, the third annual Sabbath, has great and important significance to us. And why we as Christians observe these Holy Days, Biblical Holy Days. Some call them Jewish Holy Days, but they are Biblical and Christian Holy Days. And the great joy and gladness that was experienced by those disciples on the day of Pentecost. Now, this day is very important to us and very significant, so I'm just going to focus on several points and not be able to review and cover all of them, as I've just mentioned. We can see we could be here a long time just reviewing if we focused on each separate, separate event that I mentioned. So we're going to start back in the Old Testament. In the book of Exodus, the 23rd chapter, verse 14 through 16. I'd like to read, Three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year. 
spring and the great fall, unleavened bread, Pentecost, and the fall holy days. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you in the time appointed of the month Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. That's bring an offering. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field. And in the fall, the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when you have gathered in your labors out of the field. And then going on to Exodus, the 34th chapter, and verse 22. And you shall observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. So we see here it's called the feast of weeks. And we know the significance of that from the Passover time. Uh, then from that weekend, we count 50 days or seven weeks, seven full weeks, seven full Sabbaths until the next day, Sunday. And that's why we're here today as we've counted out those seven weeks, plus one day, 50 days, and we're here today on the Feast of Weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest. Notice this. Now, in uh, the uh, Holy Land area, there was a very early spring harvest time of barley, and that had to do with about the time of unleavened bread. Then the great uh, summer harvest, beginning early, late spring rather, early summer and progressing on through was the wheat harvest. Just as here in the States, and we know in Israel because of elevations in the nor northern areas, then the harvest was later and progressed like here, starts in Texas, goes all the way up to Canada. And so it starts early summer and by the time it progresses it's uh, way past summer and into early fall of the completion of the wheat harvest. So. This is called the Feast of Weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest. Then Deuteronomy 16th chapter. Now I'm not going to be able to read all of the many numerous references to each one of these points and to um, different uh, complete uh, information about all of these um, different uh, terminologies here that we're reading, but Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter, and verse 9 through 12. Seven weeks shall you number unto you. Begin to number the seven weeks from such time as you begin to put the sickle to the corn, and you shall keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord your God with a tribute of a freewill offering of your hand, which you shall give unto the Lord your God according as the Lord thy God has blessed you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant and your maidservant and the Levite that is within your gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow which are among you in the place which the Lord your God has chosen to place his name there. And then there's more instruction uh, concerning this day. And so one of the great admonitions for us, God tells us to rejoice and to be happy and to be glad on this 
feast day. This day of first fruits of harvest, of wheat harvest. Now in Numbers, the 28th chapter. And verse 26, here again from Leviticus 23, the holy days are listed, and then here in, in chapter 28 and 29 of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, of Numbers, they're mentioned again here, and I want to go to verse 26. Also in the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new meal offering unto the Lord, after your weeks be out, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. So today is what we call a Sabbath day, an annual Sabbath, one of seven annual Sabbaths. And here it's called the day of first fruits. Now let's go to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. Now we've been over these so many times, but uh, we need to review again today because we're commanded by God to come. We're commanded to proclaim on these days, as to preach on these days, and we are commanded to rehearse them. I won't go through those earlier verses of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, but you can uh, uh, see those and read them uh, some other time, preferably later, and we've covered them numerous times. But I want to pick up in verse 10, and I want to read all of these verses through verse 21, beginning in verse 10. Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you become into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, when you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. Now this was during the 40 years of wilderness wanderings. They didn't have fields planted, and they couldn't harvest. So the instruction here is uh, for them when they come into the Holy Land, 40 years later, they were to... Uh, begin to harvest the, the crops and plant and, uh, and uh, farm in that area, then they were to do these things. So the first few verses here down to, um, oh, verse uh, 16 have to do with, uh, well, actually down through 14 have to do with unleavened bread and some other incidental uh, scriptures to that. But I'll begin here in verse 15 again. Verse 15, skip down to that uh, Brian, and you shall count unto you from the morrow, after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. This is telling again how to count from that Sunday during the days of unleavened bread. Even unto the morrow, after the seventh Sabbath, shall you number fifty days. So today is the fiftieth day. And you shall offer a new meal offering unto the Lord. You shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves of two-tenths deal. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. Now notice they signifying these two loaves that were baked with leaven. Now, uh, you remember the instruction before on the offerings and things. They were to have no leaven in the offerings. They were to have salt but no leavening. And we understand from New Testament teachings we've gone over these lessons about wickedness and malice and sin and false teaching and the significance of leaven in bread. But we all know, you know, we like uh, raised bread. We like cakes. We like uh, pastries. And so the positive thing about leavening, and there is something positive about leavening, is that it spreads. 
And so we have here specific instruction, even though these two leavened loaves, that signifies partially that, uh, yeah, there's imperfection in these two first fruits. There's sin in there. There is also other significance. Some say uh, having to do with, uh, we'll look at this a little later, uh, Jew and Gentile or Israel and Gentile or Old Testament, New Testament. There can be several references to the metaphor here of these two loaves of leavened bread. But notice they are the first fruits, these two leavened loaves of bread. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs. And he goes through here the next couple of verses, all the full rounds of offerings and sacrifices and uh, how they, uh, the numbers of them. And verse 20, And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And so this is a command to Israel to observe forever throughout all the generations, even today. America, England, Britain, South America, South Africa, uh, we're Australia, New Zealand, uh, Greenland, where Israel is the dominant nations, are commanded today, even though they are not uh, necessarily Christian, they are commanded to keep these holy days as a reminder and as a statute from God forever. Now, we are Israelites by being a part of this nation, and we're Christians, and so there's another separate message. We'll just touch on that briefly today about why Christians observe these holy days, even though they may be non-Israel, if they're a converted Christian, are expected to keep these holy days. And so, want us to remember now here, the first fruits is not the whole harvest. The first fruits were a special, significant, smaller first portion of the harvest. Now, all the harvest is going to be harvested except for some bad grains and some problems and some spoilage and, you know, uh, some that might not be worthy of being harvested. But what I want us to get out of it is that the first fruits was a special preliminary selection by the farmer and he would bring it to the priest. Now you can take your uh, dictionary and your Bible with references, the Strong's or Cruden's, and you can track out all of the significance of the first fruits and how they were to be distributed and how they were to be uh, handled. But let's continue on here now. Uh, we're going to look here at uh, a few verses about the first fruits just to give us a little more information here. Let's go to Jeremiah, the second chapter. Jeremiah, the second chapter, and verse 3. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, says the Lord. Now notice it says Israel was the firstfruits unto the Lord. 
Now, if you go back in, and we won't take a lot of time to do this, but you know that God was dealing basically with one man's family, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and how Israel later on uh, was distributed around the world in different nations. But those remaining in Jerusalem and uh, Israel area were the Jews with uh, some of the tribe of Benjamin, but were basically Judah or called Jews, those that were there at the temple and in Jerusalem. And by the time of Christ, it was the Jews basically who were still keeping the commandments of God, who still had the temple worship, who were still uh, involved in the uh, worship of God there in Jerusalem because Israel had been scattered all over. But notice when God says here through Jeremiah that uh, in the earlier verse there that he had married Israel. And so Israel as one nation of all the nations on the earth was designated to be the first fruits. They were the special ones that God was working through Israel and then later that was refined down to working through the, through the Jews. Let's go to James to the New Testament here. James, the first chapter, and verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So we as Christians, Christ the first of the firstfruits, and we don't want to go through all of those references there, but the firstfruits that we have of God's Spirit. That's what uh, in the first message Barnabas was talking about. This is confusing to some people uh, about uh, having the Holy Spirit in the old time, prophets and, thing, and, and different ones like David that had the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit was working through them, influenced, working on their mind, working on their character, helping them since Adam and Eve. God's Spirit has been working with mankind. But the first begotten to first actually be receiving as an impregnation, as a new creation in God, a new creature, was Jesus Christ. And he was the firstborn among many brethren. He was the first one that was resurrected. And then later, we who have received the first of God's Holy Spirit is those special elect called out ones out of Israel. So God was working through Israel separate and in a special way beyond the rest of the nations of the earth. He had a special relationship with them. And then within Israel, there were special ones like uh, the prophets and the righteous ones and a small, always a small group of individuals who have worshipped God. Never has the whole nation been completely surrendered and, and worshipping God, but a few select ones. So we see that called, chosen, selected. We're special and I think we, we should feel special that God has a special calling in our life and has chosen us to be a part of his salvation as first fruits. Now there's going to be more later and other holy days show when the rest of Israel and the rest of the nations and others will come into and participate in that calling that we have. Revelation, the 14th chapter. Just 
uh, one verse here, and we're familiar with this, but uh, here again, I want to read this. Revelation 14.4. In Revelation 7, the 144,000 are introduced as in the future here of receiving God's Holy Spirit and being His Holy Spirit and the name of the Father being poured out upon them. And they're identified as the tribes of Israel, showing us that Israel is still extant on the earth today and those nations around the world. And basically, uh, we know without going into those messages who and where many of those uh, tribes of Israel are today. But just read here, verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins, spiritually speaking. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now the 144,000 of the tribes of Israel are identified those special ones that are called. That's not all of Israel. There's millions and millions and millions of Israelites living today. But God has called and selected a first fruits, a few out of those that he has called, not limiting. The first fruits are not limited to the 144,000. Some might teach that, some might believe that, that uh, the only 144,000 in the future that are called are the first fruits. That's not so. They're just a part of those that are called are a part of that first fruits of salvation. Now, before we go on to the uh, New Testament and the day of Pentecost, we want to consider a a few more points here. Uh, Just some things to discuss here. In the scriptures, we have terms like firstborn, firstling, firstfruits, let me say this without, and here again, let me encourage you because if you, it would be a good idea to do this. Take your Bible dictionary, take your references later, and sort out all the many scriptures on this. But firstborn and firstlings are the same thing. Whatever was firstborn, whatever was born of an animal or a man, is either firstling or firstborn. They're the same thing. But there's some exceptions. Now, in the clean animals, the males were sacrificed to God. The firstborn or firstling male was dedicated and given and sacrificed to God. The clean female firstborn was handled in several ways. They were taken to the festivals, to the Feast of Tabernacles, or one of the feasts, and they were eaten and shared with uh, the families and the priests that were there. So the firstlings, now many years ago someone uh, told me, well the firstlings are the females, but that's not the case. If you look, you'll see that firstling males are also identified in the scriptures. So the firstling can be basically, that was uh, what they used for second tithe, the partial por- portion of their second tithe, to go to the feast to eat the um, firstling there in fellowship. Now, the advantage about the firstling was that it could be redeemed also. It could be 
changed if they wanted to keep it for, say, for breeding or for some other purpose, they could add 20% to that. And so they could exchange it by adding another animal or another uh, 20% to the value of that firstling. Now, in the unclean, firstlings or firstborn, they were handled a little different. The neck was broken. It was killed, but not sacrificed. Or if they wanted to keep that unclean like a donkey and use it, then they could exchange it with a clean animal. It could be converted. Isn't that interesting? An unclean firstborn firstling could be redeemed, could be converted by a lamb. Think about that. That's really, really significant. Now, men. Firstborn men. Firstborn men were not killed. Firstborn men of every family, a husband and wife, and their firstborn son was devoted to God. But early on, God made an exception to this. Instead of taking a bunch of different men from a bunch of different families, he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the tribe of Levi for the firstborn. So the firstborn sons of the families could just go on. Now they had a double portion inheritance. And you can tra track out the blessings of being a firstborn. There were great many blessings to being a firstborn uh, son for the right of inheritance. But instead of taking all of those individual men, God took the whole tribe of Levi. And they, he did that, he said, in place of redeeming the firstborn. So, as you can see, there's a lot of information to study out about the firstlings, the firstborn, the first fruits, clean or unclean, and how they were handled, and when uh, they were uh, used before, when they were dedicated to God, and when they were uh, able to be used, and when they could be eaten. Like, if you, you read a little bit, you get a little confused because it says to eat the firstlings at the location where God says at the feast. But then you also read another place where it says you can eat the firstlings at your home or you can share it with others at the feast. So you have to identify then if it's a, a male or a female, if it was dedicated totally to God and if it was to be sacrificed or if it was uh, permissible to be redeemed. So there's a lot that we're not going to get into today. I just wanted to touch on something to show you that uh, there's a lot of information that is very good that has to do with why we're here today, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of uh, Harvest, because we're talking about harvest and we're talking about being reaped and um, having life beyond this life, if we can put it that way. Now, for the New Testament, let's go to the book of Acts. And we've already been there, so I'm not going to read all of that, but um, let's go to Acts, the second chapter. We know here in verse 41 that uh, when the day of Pentecost 50th was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So 
There's great important significance about that, being of one mind, being of one place together. Now, since we don't have a temple service and since all of uh, Israel is not able to go to one place for the feast and now that the church of God and uh, the New Testament clearly shows Paul was able to keep the feast in different locations because he would be a number of years away from Jerusalem, 10 or 12 years or 3 or 4 years. And so uh, we have identified, we won't turn to those references, where he was keeping different feasts as he would travel on his missionary journeys in different places. Sometimes he would hurry back to Jerusalem because he wanted to get back there for a particular feast that was coming. And so in the Church of God, we have festival locations all over the world because God has designated certain places for the congregations to come together. So in Tulsa today... Uh, there's probably several different uh, groups that are meeting here today. I don't, I don't know how many uh, that are observing the Feast of Tabernacles here in the Tulsa area and in the Oklahoma area and in the United States. You could say there's probably maybe hundreds, if not maybe several thousands of different locations of groups. Plus, and here was, we're going back a little bit, uh, God was saying uh, to Israel that if the way was too far and if they couldn't go and if it wasn't permissible or practical for them to go to the temple or tabernacle to keep the feast or one of the holy days then they could convert their offerings into money or they could eat it at home. So sometimes we have people who are in their homes that are keeping the festivals because they're not able through whatever uh, reasons uh, that they're uh, not able to gather together with others. But uh, God has chosen and put his name on this place for us. He's put his name on other places. So don't be troubled about, we have to go to Jerusalem to keep the feast. No, we can keep it right here in Tulsa in our congregation or in our dwelling, in our home, as instruction is, either in the assembly or in our dwellings. But we're not to neglect doing this. This is what I'm trying to, to drive home to us. And so on this day of Pentecost, they... Uh, had received the, outpour, the outpouring and the impregnation of God's Holy Spirit and many miracles and signs and wonders. And there were uh, all of the things that were going on. Uh, we've heard some about that. We're familiar. I want to just go up to verse 41, read several verses here. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfast, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed worked together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So carrying on the following after the day of Pentecost because of the outpouring of the God's Holy Spirit and they had such joy and uh, were able to minister out and to share beyond that day and God added continually to the church. And so from 31 AD, the church began to grow and to expand. 
Now, let's go to Acts, the 20th chapter. We'll look at a, a couple of more references here in the New Testament. Acts 20, verse 16. I mentioned this earlier. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. So here is Paul, 30 years later, after 29 years after Jesus Christ, after the installation of the New Testament Church of God, Paul is a converted Christian minister, an apostle, designated by Jesus Christ, and yet he's still keeping this day of Pentecost. So how could Protestant believers in the various churches not keep this holy day as a holy day before God? So let them answer that to you. 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, verse 8. Now here's Paul talking uh, in verse 8. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. And then in Acts the 10th chapter, let's go there. The last two closing references here. Acts the 10th chapter. Verse 44. While Peter yet spake. Now we know this is the time when Peter was summoned to come to visit Cornelius and the Gentile band. And he's there preaching the word and he saw the sheet that was let down. And we know the story. We've been over that numerous times. And you have it here in the earlier verses of chapter 10. But uh, here in verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter. Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So here was a situation where the Holy Spirit was poured out and then they were baptized later. Normally, usually the procedure is that uh, a person repents, is baptized, and then with laying on of hands, then receives God's Holy Spirit in that order after baptism. Here was an exception that God made, and God did it, and he, can, and he certainly could pour out his Holy Spirit recognizing their uh, sincerity and their repentance and their attitude, and he did this for a purpose, and then Peter recognized, you know, this was from God, so uh, he commanded them to be baptized. Then in chapter 11, 
uh, just uh, reading verse 15 here. And as I began, he's rehearsing now because he was summoned later to uh, uh, Judea to give an answer. Well, why did you allow all this to happen? What was going on there? And so he's answering and giving a report of what happened. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now, back up just a little bit here. Because we have the two loaves that were waved before God. Now, as I mentioned, and I'm not going to tie that down today, some say those are Old Testament and New Testament saints or, or signified by the two loaves. Some say it is the Jew-Gentile that is brought into the church comprised of both Jew and Gentile. Now we would say Jew because as I mentioned earlier about the uh, reduction from Israel down to the Jews that were there at the temple site. And most of the New Testament, then we see the reference to Jew or Gentile, how they both became a part of the church of God. So the church of God is comprised of, uh, to this day, whosoever will of all nations. Remember, that's a part of uh, other significant holy days that show that. Now... The Feast of Pentecost does not portray the resurrection. It is a calling out and a selection of those that are going to be harvested. The, the next holy day that's coming, the Feast of Trumpets, when Christ returns, remember? That significant Feast of Trumpets shows the resurrection, the first resurrection. So those that are called and selected and chosen, those first fruits of whom we are a part of, are going to be in that first resurrection. So the first fruits is the selection of a few. It's not the whole harvest, but many of those in that life from Adam and Eve and many of those from time of Christ up to now that are living right now are going to be harvested. So they're going to join us, but there's a first fruit. There's a first blessing of those who are among us who are called. Now, in closing, I have some points here that I want to uh, uh, read to us that I've written down here. Uh, let's see, I've got eight points. One, when examined closely with many scriptures, we see Jesus Christ is the center point in which the holy days revolve around. Jesus Christ is the very center of all of the holy days. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on man at Pentecost, showing the continuation of the Father and Jesus living in the individuals that make up the church, you and I. So, as God poured out His Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago on those few disciples, and they became a part of the beginning of the church of God, so down through these ages, God has been doing and repeating that, and on us the same way. So, we're very blessed and very fortunate to be a part of that. The example of how the church ought to be 
and the example of what the church ought to be doing in living, preaching, teaching, experiencing. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit came on the church for a reason. To give power, to give teaching, to give understanding. That we could use that. That we could not just benefit ourselves, although there is a great blessing here, but there is an evangelistic, there is an outreach, there is an outpouring. We've heard about that. We heard Matt was talking about that uh, last, uh, yesterday I guess it was, in his message. Uh, the, per the purpose that we have been called collectively as the church of God to express that, what God is doing in our life. And so the church has a great thing to be, not only to be, but to be doing. We understand Christians still battle and still deal with sin and the nature. It's portrayed possibly by the leavening that we see in the church. And yet God has made a way that we can deal with that, with that sin in our nature through Jesus Christ. God the Father and Christ through the Holy Spirit has made it possible, possible to be converted and saved forever. It's only through Jesus Christ, only through receiving the Holy Spirit, that we can expect, as I talked a little bit yesterday with my message on hope, the expectation that we have of eternal life. Some people have a false expectation, a false hope of something that is unreal or is not practical or is not scriptural uh, or they have no hope. They're just hopeless. But we who have that and know that we're going to have eternal life because we have His Holy Spirit. And we have that promise since the day of Pentecost in 31 AD, a couple of thousand years ago, we can, we have, can bank on it. That's a promise from God. He has sworn and He has promised. Pentecost is an important and beautiful holy day. It's the third of seven holy days. And it is a day of feasting, a day of worshiping, a day of praising, of learning, of fellowship, of um, resting before Him. Keeping it a Sabbath rest before Him. Not doing our normal, everyday, secular work. As we assemble with other believers like ourselves. The last thing is, it shows we are included as the first fruits of His harvest of salvation. So we can see uh, there are many significant lessons to Pentecost, this Feast of Harvest.